This is two shots and a coffee. In this episode of Two Shots and a Coffee, Jimmy Tenner and Felix Kubin will be talking about the art of composition and the legendary Japanese synth MS20. In this program, you hear music from Felix Kubin, Holger Hiller, and Paul Hindemith. Enjoy. Is this part of the thing already? Ha 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 ha! If I laugh, it gets ah yeah, okay. Ha 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 ha! Uh, we shouldn't laugh too much. Ha 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 ha! Why you can laugh now? Hello, bella, bella. Uh, let me just check one thing. Sorry. Hello, bella, bella. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's the left channel. Yeah, they are, they are mixed up. Okay, okay. So I'm recording. I have three hours time. Uh, I mean, on the recorder, but we don't. We don't need so much, no. Maybe forty-five minutes. And I also want to talk about Hindemith. How how do you pronounce Hindemith? Hindemith. Hindemith. Yeah. Yeah. Hindemith. Yeah. Okay. Paul Hindemith. All right. So I think we can start the first episode of two shots and a coffee. Oh yeah. And now I need the two shots. Yeah. Well, let's drink one one first. One one. Yeah. And I want to introduce you. Um, so my first guest is Felix Kubing from Hamburg, and now we start with the. We, we don't need it. Or do we keep sipping the drink, or we? Is it like one go? Shot means go, one go. It's, a, it's like one go. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not really a shot. Well, I have the bottle next next to me. I want you to hear the pouring. White. It's an Austrian drink, uh, Austrian uh, schnapps. It's uh, so-called Edelbrand Marillen. I will explain what it is in a second. Just the sound here. Boink. Now it's open. Okay. And now I'm pouring it. Pouring is completely quiet. Sounds like I've poured nothing. Oh, no. Oh, maybe it's like the Japanese sake that is called air because it doesn't taste like anything. You know? <laughs> it tastes very much. Actually, this is, I think, from Tirol because it's actually, I bought it in an Italian shop. It's called, ah, Süd Tirol, South, South Tirol. That's, oh, that's right. Might be so already, it's Italian, actually. It's probably Italian, yeah. Süd Tiroler Gutsbrennerei. Marillen Aquavit di Albicocce. Or albicocche. I, I I don't know exactly. Albicocche or albicocche. You, you don't speak South Tyrol. <laughs> Not yet. No. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> ap something like apricot, but a bit different than, but very close to apricot, like smaller apricots. Okay. I drink now. Yeah. So let's. Ah, yeah, let's drink. So, uh, okay. Keep this. Here we go. Keep this. Keep this. If you could taste what I have just tasted. I wish I would have, because my, mine is a Finnish vodka and it's not so good. <laughs> it's, um, What's it called? Yeah. Koskenkorva. Koskenkorva. Yeah. And it's, uh, Kos Koskenkorva is the most popular, like a hard, hard liquor in Finland. But um, this one is Koskenkorva vodka, which is stronger than the... Mm -hmm. 
the regular Koskenkorva. And it means slow and death. No. <laughs> it means actually the, the ear of the rapids, like in a in a in a in a in a river. The ear of a rabbit. Yeah. Of rapids, you know, like a, like a waterfall. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ah. The ear of the waterfall. Oh, air of the waterfall. Amazing. Ear, ear, ear. Ear. The you. Yeah. Hearing. Not nose. Ah, okay. So uh, let's talk about your. Um, well, let's talk about your music and uh, how mm -hmm. did you start with music and and. Did you start with the MS-20? I know you're the expert of MS-20, the yeah. Korg synthesizer, but yeah. was that your first instrument? Or you the MS-20, yeah, the MS, no, the MS-20 was my second instrument. Okay. My first instrument was an old organ called Eco. Oh, Italian one, huh? Yeah, Italian. It It was very heavy and it sounded quite... I wouldn't say dull, but simple, let's say. Yeah. And um, the interesting thing about that organ was that when I, um, well, I started at the age of eight, you know, to play. Yeah. And I, I was uh, probably still am hot tempered. So every time I got really angry because I couldn't get a phrase right, um, I would just hit on the organ. And then yeah. the, the keys that I hit would get stuck. They would oh, just yeah, get stuck and then yeah. The, permanently, yeah. Um, so first I got my father and asked him, hey, well, what can we do? And I'm sorry. And he just opened it and yeah. found a trick, what what you had to do, because I like obviously like hit them out of their um, the slot, out of the yeah. certain slots and then I needed to put them back. So I became quite an expert in this pretty soon. So um, that was the beginning, like it was a strange time in the 70s where uh, people were replacing their uh, like uh, the pianos with organs, right? Exactly, Jimmy. Uh, the piano was replaced by an organ. You wouldn't get a grip about the dynamics that you can get with piano, but you would have yeah. the automatic accompaniment and the drum machine. And I think yeah. that these two elements have actually have an influence still today on my music so because i i really For like sure. this kind of uh, shuffling 
uh, not changing sound of a drum machine. So nothing that is like over composed and many changes and breaks and stuff. I really like when it's like a, a bit more groovy metronome. And, and, and when it has, especially the 70s sounds, wasn't so hard. It was not based on samples. It was based on specifically produced electronic sounds by the machine, produced by the machine, yeah, no yeah, samples. Yeah. So I, it would just go like... Yeah. <laughs> like this, right? And I loved the, 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 the static... I think that kind of groovy too, you know. They, yeah, they it's groovy, groove. but it's very automatic at the same time. And there's hardly any change. I mean, if you later drum accompaniments of organs would have just one break knob and then you you kick it and at some like uh, after four bars or something you would hear yeah. and then it would continue i've never seen anybody press that knob you know <laughs> they, it's like cause, <laughs> i did because where, where when would you have time to press it and it always comes the wrong time anyway because there's some sort of it has well, to wait one bar before it does it and you well know. either you can automize it so it does it after after eight bars Each, automatically yeah, yeah. or you have a lever <laughs> on your knee that you would just oh, move. okay okay <laughs> i haven't seen that yeah yeah it looks silly as as did organ players who used these electronic organs on stage they looked really silly yeah yeah a bit like a magician or something yeah that's another thing jimmy because um in the 90s uh mm. i started to work with a magician a friend of mine. Did you know that? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I didn't uh, know. Yeah, he was a kind of punk, uh, horror, gore magician. So um, it was he was more taking the piss out of magicians, but actually he, he was really good at doing magic tricks. Um, okay. And we, it had a name like uh, Magic Gore Show or whatever. Or I remember one show was called Les Yeux. So you were playing the music? Yes, uh, music and sound effects and stuff like that. Okay. But in between, that was in the 90s. So you were asking me, uh, you, you asked me about the MS-20. Um, mm. After three years of playing organ, I wanted to have a bit better organ. And instead, I got the synthesizer from a guy who yeah. I think never really used it. And I don't know, he probably just bought it out of, because his parents had too much money or I don't know. He immediately sold it. Was that MS-20? Yeah, that was the MS-20, which I still have. Because, I mean, if you don't know, if you don't know how to use it, it's like um, you, you might not get any sound of it. You know, it might, might be just silence, you know. If one knob is in the wrong, wrong position, you don't, you don't get... <laughs> no, I mean, if you don't plug a cable into the signal out, that's right, then you don't get any sound. But if you <laughs> do plug a cable, you'd have to... I think there's just one, one um, adjustment that actually produces no sound if you close both the filters otherwise you always get something yeah okay but yeah sure <laughs> so i was using this synthesizer very intuitively of course at 11 i didn't know anything about the synthesis of volume uh, or amplitude um, and frequency and timbre and this is actually mm. the meaning of synthesizer. It, you can synthesize these three different parameters in order to create more or less any kind of sound. But when I found out that I, I could just produce whatever I wanted and it wasn't just presets, I 
absolutely my mind went out the roof, I tell you. I didn't expect this. I just realized this is a, an endless uh, origin of amazing sounds. And up today, up, to, up till today. Did you use headphones or did you have an amplifier or with a reverb or something? Yeah, well, I used headphones. Of course, they were really heavy and very bad, <laughs> as it used to be yeah. in the 70s. <laughs> uh, or in 1980, I think I got the synthesizer. But um, I used the external input of the organ for the synthesizer. So the synthesizer was running through the speaker of the organ. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's, no, but the organs have uh, quite good speakers sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I, ha I had an echo echo organ too, like echo rimini, I think it was called, and um, that that had a really good speaker, you know. Ah. The speaker sounded fat. I think really I had one fat. of the cheesiest, e easiest, and sleaziest. So my sound <laughs> had basically no bass and no trebles. But this totally, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I started making music with this. I started composing very early. Actually, my first piece I did even before I had the synth when I was nine or something. And then I continued with the synth uh, and my brother, uh, we had a sec, we had very cheap microphones and we were, we were just recording on a cassette recorder uh, from the sound of yeah. the room and now. But um, in 1983, the first really cheap four track audio tape recorder came out so like Teak and Fostex I think and I got the Fostex thing and that was so good in terms of sound quality it was yeah. well Teak was actually not so cheap and uh, I think it was about like uh, 700 euros Fostex was like 700 euros at that time and the quality was so good even though it just used Dolby B that um, until today uh, all the music I made with it people still think that these tracks are fake.
There was a big fashion of what we called minimal music, like minimal, to pre produce minimal music. So that was the answer to the huge, like the completely out of balance recordings from the 70s where they would just produce this hu these huge productions, extremely expensive, uh, like Pink, Pink Floyd and uh, whatever, all these bands were, were using so many tracks. Yeah, they were staying in the studio for months, you know, mostly playing squash or whatever, sometimes a year and really living there. And, um, and they were using tons of layers of sounds. And now suddenly this lo-fi uh, DIY sound became very uh, fashionable. And that was very practical for me because I had no more than four tracks. So I could just produce this kind of minimal sound and it sounded pretty good. But hey, uh, it's, time for, it's time for the next Already. shot. Already, next shot, yeah. I'm up yeah. for it. Time flies. <laughs> yeah. So Junk. I'm not gonna change my there brand. I, that's the only thing I have here. Well, I have also a mezcal, which I like a lot, but now I wanna stay with this Marillenbrand. Ah, okay. You have a yeah. You have a different brand. No, no. I I stick okay. to the same. Prost. Most the Prost. same. All right. Okay. Let's go yeah, for it. Prost. Okay. Cheers. <laughs> Man, this is ah, herrlich. Ah, jeez. I don't normally drink hard liquor, but you know, because of this radio show, I have to. Yeah. <laughs> How many okay, shows are you good. producing per month? Four or? I don't. I don't. No, no. It's one a month. Oh, one a month. So I'm, oh, okay. I'm. I'm still safe. <laughs> I'm safe. <laughs> I do this for the art. Of course, for the Kunst. Hey, so I. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about uh, musical education, because I think you once told me that um, when you were in high school or something, you had to do exam. Yeah of Hindemith's, um, but, but what was it? Because I, I just got two books from the library of Hindemith. Uh, one is Craft of Musical Composition, mm -hmm. and the other one is Exercises in Two-Part Writing. Oh. And I think my friends have been doing this two-part writing in the university, and I tried to do it, and I, it's, I, I don't understand anything, you know, like, Two-part writing. I, think uh, I can write music, how could you? But I try to translate this to German. Uh, Two-part referring to what? You have only like two monophonic lines that ah, you. Yeah. Just two, two like two vocalists or two MS20s playing, ah. and then you have to, then you have to figure out the right way to to do the whole composition only with these two notes. Ah, interesting. 
I think that for ex you know I released a record uh, called Wir bauen eine Stadt and uh, I forgot the name of the uh, of the of the lyricist the guy who wrote the lyrics but it's this uh, mm. Spiel für Kinder Spiel für Kinder and it's yeah. uh, about a city um, where everything is described as um, being populated just by children so the mayor is a child the bakery is run by children and okay it's kind of cute but at the same time some parts are like close to racism <laughs> oh, okay um, which well, was I of mean, course so. a, a bit or let's say to imperialism um due to the times when it was written i think in 1930 mm, um As far, uh, to my knowledge, Hindemith was ne not a noted noted uh, fascist, but it was just the times that you that uh, the Europeans felt definitely superior to Africans or in Indians or whatever. Well, now yeah, um, but the music, uh, especially the the overture of this piece, is also written, as far as I know, just for two lines, and these two mm. lines still give you a strong. Uh, idea about uh, the harmonies, the chords, and uh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, because with two lines, that's what this whole book not, is about. Yeah. yeah, it's not easy to create yeah. harmonies with this. Um, yeah, and it's not, let's say, super modern and expressionist and full of dissonances, but it has some kind of a soft modern uh, strangeness to its harmonic feel. So you had the Hindemith uh, chord Excel <laughs> chord uh, scheme, which was f like four different forms. And when I wrote my final exam at school, uh, which was also in composition, I had to to solve a pretty difficult task, I think, for a school course, which was that uh, we got an expressionist l um, poem. And we had to write a choir of four voices for this expressionist poem using the four regions of the Hindemith uh, scheme. Wow, yeah. I, I can't imagine um, my kids doing that. They're in that age. <laughs> I feel like that's really difficult. Yeah, it was, uh, for me, it was like a university standard I yeah. think so I I was uh, and the most difficult was this uh, we were not allowed to use the piano until the very end so everything we had to do in our heads 
And that was yeah, yeah, simply yeah. not the way I worked. I mean, I can imagine certain things, but I always have to to test them and verify them on on the piano or on a keyboard. So I, I always need a keyboard for composing. And this was like crazy difficult for me because I actually uh, I arranged the whole thing in the in the last 20 minutes of five hours that we originally had. In the last 20 minutes, I could make all the corrections when I was allowed to use the, the piano. Okay, so um, let's hear the piece you made at the exam. We have it right here. No. I think this is kind of old school um, way of making music because now that I mean, of course, because you work with MS20 and before you try things with MS20, you don't know what you're going to have, right? Yeah, know. There's, there's no way. There's no way to know like what's going to come out from the synthesizer. And also, if you work with samples, yeah. I mean, if you don't try, you know, you trim the samples, you tune them, and you know, like let's say, like in hip hop, you have the the let's say the song the original song where the sample is from it goes from in a key of a but you take another sample which goes from e flat yeah but somehow they they work together i mean nobody knows why but you know somehow there's something new and i don't think you can do this kind of composition in your head if you work with um, modern electronic things I, yeah I that's very difficult impossible. for sure I mean, I know a composer yeah. who actually just stands in front of the window and he has no instruments around him, nothing to verify mm. his ideas with, and he just starts composing and writing scores from his, from his head. That's sure. I yeah. don't know. Mm. Now I always need the hands-on thing. I can imagine. I mean, when I listen to to tunes, I'm trained to uh, listen and analyze them, and I could probably write them down pretty exactly also the harmonies if they are not too atonal then i can mm. i can listen to a song and i can write it down but um when i compose i feel much better uh when i can touch touch the keys of an instrument uh, uh of, a, of a keyboard i mean just uh, to to also sometimes i try things out i mean just i half randomly uh, touch the keys and I find things. Yeah. I think it's very nice uh, to compose and find things and not just to compose and rule the material. This idea of I have to control and rule the material and it's all mine and I form it just completely as I want. I like when accidents happens, happen and things happen that I didn't plan and they are even better than what I planned and then I include them uh, in my work. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think a lot of artists. They, I think they embrace the the the, the idea of a chance and uh, mm. yeah, that is, you know, that's why when the when the digital uh, synthesizers came, like they were too clean, you know, like yeah, there was no, there was there was no accident. So I think it was was it Brian Eno he suggested to have uh, like a bug in the in the operating system of the synth that it would have make a, like a glitch every once in a while <laughs> for the musicians to get ideas, you know. I heard the story of Goodipel, you know, this artist from Copenhagen. Um, mm. He uh, was teaching for a while at the uh, Koninklijke uh, or uh, uh, the, the, the Royal Academy for Music. And he was so bored mm. of what his students did that uh, he and a friend hacked um, one of these most expensive machines there, or two of them even, they hacked them and they did exactly what you said. They kind of bugged them, uh, put a bug in it yeah. so that they would just produce really bizarre results because he thought that could enhance the creativity of his students. He was fired then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> means he was good. Yeah. Have you been fired from anything? speak about let's say the the uh, boldest project i've ever done with cork ms20 mm. was this cork ms20 orchestra and the idea to the, the idea i uh, that uh, of that came up when i thought how i knew few people who had the cork ms20 and I always thought it could be really funny to teach a class but really as a performance to have a class with several people sitting there on with a cork ms20 you know instead mm -hmm. of like in old times when you would have uh, a frog on the table and you would just make experiments uh, with a frog or with some uh, i don't yeah. know with uh, the chemical uh, chemical fluids in the classroom mm. instead of that you would have the ms20 um, okay. And you would just um, experiment in pairs with that. So I had this image in my brain. So I mentioned this to a promoter from Ghent in Belgium. And she yeah. liked the idea and uh, later on uh, called me back or wrote me and said, hey, let's do it. Let's do this Cork MS20 thing and let's use 
20 Cork MS20. Because I always thought about five or six. Oh, this year you should do the... This now is 2020, so... Exactly. This, this year it's even... Yeah, this, this would be the perfect year to perform it again, actually. But anyway, and this was in 2016, I think. Um, and it was a class of students from the Lucas School of Art in Ghent. Mm. Um, and they were all not really familiar with synthesizers, maybe one or two, and the others had never touched a synthesizer. So this But were they musicians? No, or? they weren't. They came from okay, completely they, they different just owned backgrounds. The instrument or? Yeah, they were uh, they were artists but with totally different backgrounds than music. Okay. So they were all amateurs and uh completely mixed, girls and boys, and they were uh I had like three or four days to develop something with them that would be performed at the end at the Forreut, a nice venue in Ghent. Yeah. And uh, so I had hardly any time. I mean, I was just testing things with them. Then I made notes. And while they were going to lunch, I was writing down feverishly the composition. And uh, one of the, I mean, there what, were was three it like pieces. Was it like a graphical score? Or what kind of Sorry? score did you make? Like. Uh, was it like a graphical just, score or did you or just like words or words kind of and notations and um, not a not a score at all that would just be written like like one of these really elaborate scores uh with a mm. precise time signature and so on i didn't have time for that but i wrote down which stages of sound we would achieve and how we would go from one sound to another um I thought about how is it possible to create an orchestra of synthesizers because yeah. with w already with one MS20 you can create a complete like chaos and anarchy and uh, explosions and whatever on a stereo PA. Sure. So I thought how will it be possible to tame 20 players and to make it possible that they know what in the sounds they are playing and what not. And the only solution I could find was that everyone had to have their own speaker. So I yeah. said, we need 20 speakers that are in, of a good quality, like monitors, but are of a very good quality behind each player. So yeah. then we created something like, uh, what is the foot, the metal foot cord of a horse? Horseshoe, no? Horseshoe, yeah, mm. yeah. So it was a horseshoe f uh, form, and they were like nearly a circle, horseshoe form. Uh, they were put next to each other, and each of them could hear their synthesizer the loudest, but could also hear the other ones play. Then I started with one um, uh, adjustment of uh, a sound, exactly the mm. same with everyone, only that then I said, and now we're going out of tune from this one sound and everyone will stop at a different tune. So from like a one, yeah. uh, uh, sl uh, one detuned 20 voice multiphonic synthesizer sound, let's say, we suddenly had <laughs> 20 different micro tunings. And that was like my Xenakis approach to it. Plus it sounded <laughs> yeah, extremely... Yeah 
three-dimensional because uh, of course all these different tunes were coming from different angles so that sounded already amazing every speaker is a little bit different the speakers so is uh, the speakers different the corks sound different of course true yeah because they are all analog yeah. and my 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 ms20 is uh, is a very rough sounding you know yeah i i tried some other ms20s and for me they sound really lame you know like yeah like oh too soft yeah mine is like clunk, like clunky <laughs> yeah there you go they sound really different. hey yeah uh, it's time for it's time for the coffee uh, really do you need to make coffee or yeah oh yeah but what i need to do, do is do um, i hope it's warm enough otherwise i have to take a co cold one yeah my, I, i prepared myself in advance it's a little bit cold but um just a second i have to get it from the kitchen because i don't have a good Uh, um, uh, signal there okay just a second I will get it well in the meanwhile we can listen to a recording from your MS20 orchestra gig here it comes I'm back. Okay. Hello. So, what kind of coffee you have? Ah, um, there, ah, there you are now. Yeah, I'm back. So it's it's more like a espresso. Is that bad? No, yeah. You know, I me, I have to. You know, I I've recently bought this kind of um, mechanical grinder. You know, so I grind mm -hmm. my espresso from the beans. Oh. I didn't used to do it before because I hated the sound. You know the. <laughs> <laughs> But now when I bought this, like a mechanical thing, it's very peaceful and you just, mm. you grind wow. it and it's, it's very tasty. I, I want to ask you, like, did you ever try any other synthesizer than MS-20? Did you just like, I guess it's kind of strange if you so dedicated with MS-20 and you try something else, you know, like Oberheim, which is kind of really like an opposite kind mm -hmm. of keyboard than uh, than ms20 you know oberheim has a big fat sound and uh, mm -hmm. big you know people use it for pads and did you ever try oberheim i tried pretty every synthesizer which was available since the late 70s i think i mean at least i i doodled around a little bit 
but um yeah at that time you know you could still buy regularly the jupiter 8 and stuff like that juno 60 yeah um sure of course i was really limited to the monophony uh because the the ms20 is just a monophonic synthesizer and that was a bit sure difficult to use so i i when i needed a polyphonic synthesizer i had another one later on which is the roland jx3p which is like a slightly oh, yeah, more yeah. digital version of the juno 60 i still have it and i still like it but in a way that the ms20 is, is like the hindemith synthesizer you know just like yeah, two absolutely. ms20s and and you yeah, can yeah. do the that's sort of like If you can master like a composition with two MS20s, you can you can do everything, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I was doing that actually. I was creating some short miniatures, uh, some short mini compositions, half improvised, improvised, using two MS20 and just using the uh, different hmm, uh, the different intervals to create some kind of a mood it can get very easily melancholic like that i don't know why but it gets easily melancholic or maybe that's me i don't know but it's interesting that with just two sound sources like i mean like two monophonic lines you can create such a rich uh harmonic feeling that's amazing i think because probably the brain just remembers certain tones and even if you even when you play the next one the one before still keeps a certain mood memory and that is an interesting thing also about using harmonies in a song or in a, in a general composition um uh, you can have an uh, you can no harmony really just exists for itself uh, a harmony can become very very strong or surprising in the context of sometimes very simple other harmonies. So just one change is so surprising. Um, that means that the harmony itself uh, is not creating a definite mood. But if you have three other harmonies before, it certainly shines in a completely different way. And that's what I like really about it, that like the change of a, of a harmony creates can can create such different moods even though you always end up on the same chord i really like this mm. a lot no it depends the, on the time it's in the time like the i mean music happens in time so what you prepare something and then all of a sudden this is this completely different thing so um yeah it's the time but it's also the relation of the harmonies that come before so, of course, the time is important. Yeah. But if you have like, let's say you have a straight major chord. I never liked mm. this kind of chord very much. But uh, <laughs> I understood. Well, it, has, it has a place. I'm yeah, sure. it has. A, I understood that by itself, it, it's, it's neither bad or good. It depends on the context. So maybe you have some very mm. jazzy chords before or you have some like three different uh, ma uh, minor chords before like. Uh, and suddenly you end on this one uh, major chord and then it can have such a strong brilliance there. It can have such a strong yeah. effect. Also, people start to laugh if you do that. <laughs> 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 oh. 
But hey, let's hear a track you made with your brother in uh, 1982. So, das Stück hier eben hieß Ich hab was vergessen und das Stück, was jetzt kommt, heißt Universalanschluss. bit of a nerdy interest or scientific interest yeah, yeah, acoustic yeah sure. i have that 
I guess because I mean I, I'm a very impatient person, but I I have that a little bit because my father was a scientist, and I think that uh, the way that he approached certain solutions for problems or that he was looking at certain mechanisms or things in life was something that I found really intriguing and uh, was trying to understand how he works. And I understood that sometimes oh, it's necessary home. to... Sorry? Yeah, my sound is my sound is breaking. Um, ah, okay. Um, well, I just said that... Oh, yeah, now no, yeah, I can hear you. Now I'm back. Um, I just said that uh, for me, it, uh, I learned from the methods that my father used to understand certain phenomena in the nature or like uh, what? he was working actually he was working a lot actually with microcosmos things like with x-rays stuff because he was an atomic atomic physicist uh, atom physicist oh, okay so he was yeah. using uh, methods uh, which are in the invisible world and can actually only be measured or calculated but you can't really see them easily uh yeah so uh, the way that he worked was interesting for me and i forced myself to become patient and to understand um, the parameters of a system and um, like f after i played around with my cork synth i really wanted to know what actually every function of it means and how it works so i bought a book about acoustics and i learned it when i was 16 I guess so it's the same with every synthesizer I take time to understand what actually is happening there and then I know it that doesn't mean I can use it intuitively really fast but I know what's going on and I can try things out with a bit more patience and a bit more uh, method methodological yeah no it's good way of, i, I yeah. didn't used to read the, the manuals at all and and that's really stupid because if you read the whole manual and then you learn the synth it's it's so much easier <laughs> so much better yeah. uh, unless the the manual manual is a japanese manual because they are useless <laughs> <laughs> the translations of japanese manuals can be very very funny actually But uh, no, I mean, it's like when mm, I think the manuals are written in a wrong way because they are written in a way as if you would take a, um, um, a dictionary and try to learn a language. You would never learn a language using a dictionary. So they, they are not really trying to tell you how to get into the synthesizer in a, in a playful and intuitive way. Um, I don't know. I mean, I try to avoid the manual as much as possible. And then if I don't get any any further, then I start to read it. But because manuals are so bizarre, I made a whole radio play about manuals. Did I tell you that? It's okay. called uh, Wiederhole 1 bis 8, repeat 1 to 8. That's only about manuals and and how they fail. True. It's like a huge 50-minute uh, collage of manuals including uh, explanation of how a sequencer works. Yeah. The first time I use a sequencer, you put the machine on and you start turning the knobs and it's great. You know, immediately, like in two seconds, it's like, yeah, wow, I get this. <laughs> and um, But I heard like what, um, what's his name? Stockhausen, the, the sequencer was like a, like a, like a reel-to-reel tape uh -huh. that it would have like a signal every once in a while. Like, ah. uh, 
you know, like endless tape that would that they would they would use that as 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 the trigger trigger signal for for sequencer really? with a sound signal on it, like tick 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 tick. Yeah, ah, yeah, just okay. <laughs> yeah, and they would just tape tape, maybe like two or three. It depends what the tempo was and uh, and that 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 signal would trigger the electronics. Oh, this sounds amazing. Hmm. I I'm sometimes surprised of the the how far Stockhausen uh, examined certain technical gear. Like for example, he made a really interesting and strange piece uh, just with a vocoder for okay. uh, as a sound as a soundtrack for a film by the Quai Brothers. I don't remember the name of the film, but I can find it out for you. Okay. The soundtrack is just amazing, and it's so strange. He's using the vocoder, but uh, in a such different way than you would do it in the 70s. Usually, you know, it was used yeah, for yeah, robot yeah, voices no, disco, and dis disco, disco sound song, effects yeah. and whatever, or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. or robots. Uh, but he's using that in, a such, in such a different way, and it's kind of spooky, the piece. It's really, really nice. And mm -hmm. the film is quite odd too, because you know the the Quai Brothers always produce these uh, special kind well films that had a narrative, but the narrative would be super unlogical or very dreamlike. Ah, I can I can hear you now fluently. Okay, like I I think that's fine. Um, I totally mm. believe that if you use a certain setup of gear or you have just gear which is really old and that forces you to work really slowly that it has a good effect on the result me too yeah, yeah. like the editing with tape is really different than the editing in pro tools or any other daw where you can make cuts and edits super fast I'm not really sure mm. if the results are so much better. I think that definitely you can edit certain things uh, that need a lot of cuts that you can do that better in a digital DAW, you know, but um, that sure. in a, but a lot of the amazing uh, art pieces of, of Musique Concrète have all been done by hand, like cut literally, literally by hand. And Yeah, I can't really see that music has improved in terms of content and uh, uh, like amazing sound results so much since then. Yeah, well, I mean, there's different kind of music, and I think also whenever the the those experiments were made, surely at the same time there was some really bad music in the pop charts. You know, like yeah. If you look at the top twenty in the nineteen fifty-eight, it's it's really bad music. <laughs> yes. So it's like it's uh, sometimes it's hard to see the good stuff in you yeah know, the moment the the moment you you are at the you know living. Yeah, because everybody, I you know, I, I get I get frustrated when people talk about, let's say, like '80s music, and they always play this '80s like synth synth pop music or or like hard rock, and I was like, mm. well, that's that's not the '80s that I know. Of. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, for me, it was exactly. you know, like yeah. all this like uh, 
fetish records, things like Clock DVA or whatever, Stephen Malander mm. and stuff like this. And uh, Yeah, it shows that, that uh, your view on history is very subjective. There's ha it's hardly possible to create an objective view on history. You can show the 80s really, yeah. really badly and you can show them in such a great way you know just uh, all these bands that you mentioned uh, a lot of the early 80s stuff that was produced in germany is absolutely overwhelming still i mean i'm still discovering yeah. things and i'm overwhelmed by the amount of creativity and experimentation there um and uh, already 1985 86 uh, stuff like public enemies started to come up and uh, i think that the It takes a nation to hold us uh, back is from 87 uh, and and that's already a, an amazing piece of uh, uh, like the hip-hop art with sampling very very um, pioneering use of samples so you can find all the best yeah. pieces of the 80s or all the worst pieces and uh, also of the 70s I, I think it's it's definitely just a point of view and the the way that you make your selection that you can tell things apart and yeah exactly if, yeah. if it's good or a bad decade i think i think we've done more than one hour uh and we yeah we had all our drinks so maybe yes, it's yes. time to wrap it up because <laughs> it's uh, we don't want to water down the concept <laughs> you know no no i mean Just to say something about the times now, as you said, yeah. it has never been uh, a better time for producing independent music like DIY music because everyone can yeah. create a studio at home. And yeah. I think there's just as much great music being produced now than it has been in the past. I don't see it really yeah. in the charts. I, I think that the quality of what I find in the charts is definitely worse than what I've found in some times in the past. I'm not talking about all the eras, but certain moments in the past. The system has changed. You find, if you want, you find just as much amazing music everywhere, but you have to make really an effort to find it uh, because it's sometimes hidden, hidden everywhere. And yeah. That was Felix Kubin in conversation with Jimmy Tenno. This was Two Shots and a Coffee.